Welcome to the Entertainment Age, first of a series of collaborations between myself, Daniel Roby, and my good friend Daniel G over at Sheridan's. I'm CEO and founder of ThinkJam. I've worked in entertainment for over 20 years in the digital marketing space, specialising in film, TV, with entertainment franchises and brands. Daniel G is a partner at Sheridan's, a leading sports, media and tech law firm. I'm honoured that he's partnering with us today for this discussion. Those of you who are regular on Clubhouse know it's full of discussions about NFTs, all day long in fact. But we wanted to focus our first discussion on the opportunities and challenges in our sector, specifically with entertainment brands and brands that want to entertain, from sports teams and movies to talent, athletes and creators. We've got some really great guests joining me today to explore the topic. We've got Eitan, who's a digital media partner at Sheridan's. He's got an intimate knowledge of the legal process, considerations and challenges of cryptocurrencies and IP deals. We've got Damien, who's the CEO and founder of Blend Media. As well as the CEO, he comes from NFTs from the point of view of an IP owner. And we've also got Aaron Kelly, who's the executive creative director at ThinkJam, who's going to talk a little bit about the creative aspects of NFTs. Crypto and NFTs is blowing up everywhere. Even today, we've got the much-anticipated public listing of Coinbase, uh, which will really test to see how hot this market is. On NFTs in sport and entertainment, there's a lot of development. Only yesterday we saw Kevin Smith announce his new crypto studio. We've got the Major League Baseball launching their classic Tops cards this week through the Wax blockchain. We've even got NASA releasing their first NFTs this week. We're going to kick off discussions in a moment, and about halfway through we'll open up things to anyone who has a question. I want to kick this off with a question to uh, Damien or Eitan. Um, all of these drops are from brands and IP rights holders. What is currently the opportunity for an artist or a right holder to get into this world? Um, well, I'll jump in if, if I may. So I'm Damien Collier. Uh, my background is as a media entrepreneur. Um, I've uh, managed uh, a brand called The War of the Worlds for about 20 years now and taken that onto, onto stage and licensed it into various um, uh, platforms, video games, um, online uh, music exploitation. Um, so looking at it from that perspective, um, there's the opportunity for rights owners to not just license once, but license forevermore. So, you know, say you're owning a piece of um, video content or you're owning a... Uh, a digital image, you can license it to one person or sell it on to one person exclusively. And now with the blockchain and with NFTs, you have the opportunity to participate into secondary sales, which is particularly interesting. And my last business, which wasn't the War of the Worlds related, but it was a viral video management business. And we became the leaders for licensing viral videos to brands. Um, there was only ever the opportunity to... Um, license a piece of content to a brand and, and track it through either good faith or through monitoring their exploitation of it. Whereas now, if it's on the blockchain, you can track it all the way through and you can see if someone uses it, withdraws it. Um, uh, you can uh, Artists can obviously sell art, but they can also withdraw art and they can see if someone's made a bid on art and they've then withdrawn it. So it's about recording rights and exploiting rights all the way through down the line, from my perspective. Eitan, did you have anything to add on that from a legal perspective? Um, I could add to it from a legal perspective, but I think, um, and hi everyone, this is Eitan. Um, I think what I'd like to just sort of mention is, is the kind of, 
the the more conceptual purpose of this and um and what's significant when it comes to digital content because what the nft is doing is it's making that content scarce and typically when you when you have a digital version of something uh, the copies are identical to the originals and therefore the value in the original is undermined by that and the analogy i've i've always given is that if you if you digitize a letter and make an email that's powerful because you can send that letter very cheaply to millions of people and if you digitize a, a magazine and make it a website you also make it you know you, you you're better able to propagate it and you can get it out there but if you try to digitize something that has a greater value or a different kind of value like money um you destroy the money because you can copy the money and and that's really what what bitcoin did that's that's the only real invention is that it allowed money to be made scarce and it didn't depend on paypal or visa or some other intermediary to referee that and so now what we're able to do is take some digital content and make a version of it scarce. And so people can see these uh, very expensive artworks themselves. So you're able to see this content, but there's a version of it which will always be the original and any copy of it will be a known copy. And that's, that's the kind of the opportunity in a, in a more of a conceptual sense. You're now able to make scarce digital things, whereas previously you never could because they're so, so easy to copy. So let me ask you a question on that, if it's okay. I mean, you've got IP and rights holders who have properties. You have, whether that's sports teams or films or um, artists, and they've got content that they're selling. It's scarce. They're limited editions and so on. What about NFTs that are being made just for the sake of generating revenue that are just being minted onto the blockchain and sold in auctions is there a difference to that is that helping or hindering the direction of travel for the value of these nfts there's no real difference in a legal or technical sense it's still ip plus some kind of crypto token and when you transact the token between between different parties or wallets or whatever then you are transferring the, the, the related ownership of the IP. So that's the same. Um, but it seems to me that um, a lot of the content isn't that high quality. Uh, and similarly in the art world, in the physical art world, a lot of that's not great either. And it has a, it has a kind of a lower value than, you know, a, a painting by one of the great Renaissance masters or a, or a, modern, or a, modern, um, a modern and very desirable artist. And it's just adding to a lot of the fuzz. And if you ask me, I think we're in a bubble. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. And I think there's, um, the artwork is probably becoming second to the NFT itself. And that's not really the idea. I think the idea is that the artwork is desirable and limited and scarce. And people therefore want it because, um, I don't know, it makes them feel good about themselves or they just like knowing they've got the original. And so I think that, the fact that anyone could put anything onto an NFT, that's a good thing. But I think that the, the, the price discovery needs to kind of carry on its course until we work out what these things are actually worth over the longer term. Hey, Tan, it's Daniel here and, and Damien. Just a, a sort of short maybe question or lead in from, um, from Daniel's questions as well, which is, you know, for, for me as a mainstream sports and entertainment lawyer, 
I don't know, Aitan, you've been bang, uh, banging on about Bitcoin since um, yeah, 2012, 13. And, and really, it's really with the advent of top shops and crypto and kitties and, and dapper labs and, and the very mainstream stuff which is coming on um, uh, and has come on uh, online relatively lately. The thing that I find quite interesting, for example, about, um, you know, obviously the NBA is a massive brand and done it quite well, is do you think there's a reason why, and I'm putting you on the spot now a little bit, why Dapper Labs and NBA didn't really and haven't really mentioned the fact that it's an NFT and referenced it too much or that it's actually sort of housed on the on the blockchain? Is that is that, um, is that to enable everything to be as mainstream as possible, for it to be as attractive as possible? Um, and, and, and is that the sort of root of root, root core, course of action that a lot of the bigger brands and rights holders are taking right now it's almost like crypto is the foundation but it's not necessarily being advertised as such at the present time um i think there's always a good reason to kind of hide the technology within something and um if you just look at you know apple design that you know pioneered by ibes one nice big screen with a button in the middle um, always gonna is always going to be more accessible than a black, black thing with a hundred tiny uh, silvery buttons, which is how they things used to look. And um, crypto has always had this issue because it's really clunky to use. And you know, Bitcoin has failed as a as a mass as a, as a mass adopted currency. Just really for that for that reason, I would say it's so easy to just delete your money or send it to the wrong person and not be able to get it back. And um, I don't think necessarily we need to be parading the blockchain part if it doesn't really help the project. Um, much better to be able to tell people what the functions are and, and see, if they, see if they want them than to try to overcomplicate things. And so um, I imagine it was deliberate. And, um, and a lot of the companies I've worked with over, over the years, originally they start saying, let's make sure everyone knows this is crypto. And then later on, the, the, the tone changes and they're more inclined to say, we don't really need to bring up the crypto thing. Um, we just happen to like that technology and we, we're using a distributed ledger. What's the big deal? The main thing is that this, this is a desirable, it's a desirable service or function or app or whatever it is. And hopefully people will want it. Yeah, I mean, I think crypto has gone through various cycles hasn't it and and like Aitan, i've been investing in bitcoin and various cryptocurrencies since 2012 so i've sort of gone gone along on that journey um and you know crypto kitties were around in 2017 and it was basically for people who had you know uh got into bitcoin early they'd worked out how to set up a, a wallet and participate in an ICO and somehow connect their MetaMask to some random website. Even to this day, you know, you're still having to do that to buy certain NFTs. So I, I think it's all about cycles of adoption, truthfully. And um, I'm not sure I'd entirely agree that Bitcoin has failed as a as a currency. I don't think necessarily it will become a currency. I think it will remain a store of value. But I think with businesses like Coinbase and others um, just just making the whole uh, user journey much, much more friendly. Um, we're still very early, even though it's been around since 2010, we're still very early. I do think that the um, NBA Top Shots was a conscious decision to not describe them as, as NFTs. And I think they're probably 
you know, laughing because of that, because then you get others like Snoop Dogg who come out with something that is very obviously an NFT and it's very obviously a money grab and it just doesn't sell, even though it's Snoop Dogg. You know, it didn't it didn't sell out. You went on to his drop and there's, you know, 500 left of a thousand random crap images that, that were obviously just a money grab. So I think it, we're already seeing a bit of a divide between those IP owners who are actually taking it very seriously. And NBA Top Shots have obviously done half a billion dollars worth of business already. That's very valuable. And then you've got others who are just seeing it as a as a, a quick cash grab. Hope you don't mind. Um, I brought just because I want to try and make sure we all want to make sure that we can get some really good interaction with everyone. I think that's one of the real benefits of. Um, of Clubhouse and, and getting everyone involved. Uh, one of my colleagues, Nia, brought up just to the stage. He had a, a quick question to ask. So I hope you don't mind just interrupting the flow a little bit, but it'll hopefully go in the in the right direction, I'm sure. Nia? Uh, apologies all. Uh, I'm Nia, I'm a colleague of uh, Dan's at Sheridan's. Um, just wanted more than a question, just wanted to kind of input on the reason why the NBA and Dapper Labs have been kind of less vocal about the nft aspect of their of their offerings um and i think it's because there is and has been for a very long time this culture of sports card collection in the us um and that has a very strong tradition and a very large uh and loyal user base um so for, for the nba to kind of present its nft offering as just an extension as the kind of next evolution of that form of card collection and trading um, made more sense and would appeal to a larger audience and, and would allow it to retain more of its traditional kind of card collecting audience as opposed to presenting it as a, as a brand new tech. So I suspect that's why uh, they they adopted that approach. I just wanted to, to um, just put that forward as, as a theory. No, thanks for that, Nee. I think I think that that's right. I was chatting. I'm chatting. I was listening to um, a Recode Media podcast the other day with um, lit, speaking with um, Dapper Lab CEO uh, Rohan. I cannot pronounce his surname, so you have to apologise in advance. And and um, uh, yeah, I think they were saying that they were speaking to NBA back in 2018. I think really. So um, to try and understand how sort of user cases might might go and, and, and uses more generally. Eitan, just maybe a brief one for you, and then if I can circle back to, to Damien as well, is, you know, you, you seeing that market now um, and us being involved in a variety of different NFT projects, wh where's the current appetite on the rights holder side and um, things that are out there in the market already? And, and where do you think things are a little bit, where where do you think they are at the moment and where they are, you know, in the next six months or so? You're obviously negotiating on various things that we can't really talk about in too much detail, but there's plenty of market insights at the same time. Um, yeah, so so the, we're seeing projects in sports, esports, video games, art, um, music, TV, you know, uh, physical memorabilia like film props, that kind of thing. And... Um, it seems that the, the, but what you really need to do is understand who, who wants to buy this and what your, what your fans want. Um, and what kind of a, what kind of an IP is it that you have? And so in music, for example, there are, there are certain acts out there. There's a lot of acts out there that have been around forever 
they're part of people's childhoods and their adolescence and now they're older they're wealthier and um, they just like buying these things that they know are unique and um, and really I think the, the 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 best way to try to work out what is a sensible approach is to look at the physical collectibles market and see what people are into and um, they're into communities they're into collecting sets of things they're into things with some kind of a backstory and um, something that they're able to share with one another. I think that we really do need for this, for this NFT thing to, to become just, you know, the way, the way that collectibles work in a lot of cases, um, some kind of environment where people can, you know, peacock all their, all their NFTs to each other. But mostly we're seeing that type of thing. Some projects are focusing, you know, on things that might not necessarily have that yet. So for example, a startup, who knows if it's going to be a hit? Um, and in that case, it's a bit more speculative, and people are, are maybe buying the NFT, thinking this startup is going to be is going to be successful, and therefore the NFT I've just bought is is underpriced. And you might be able to say that the same with a with a band that's not you know nearly signed band that has a hardcore following. Maybe it could fund something, and um, and men, and then maybe you'd be delighted to have bought the first NFT that they ever issued. Or maybe they'll all just go back to their day jobs and you'll regret it and it's, it's not going to be worth anything at all. But it's, the, it's, it's focusing on the IP and what's desirable amongst a particular fan base and, and crossing your fingers that they're sufficiently technically able to um, actually access, the, access these things. Um, before, I, before I finish this a little bit, I would say that a lot, of the, a lot of the NFT market is not those actual fan bases. I think it's, it's crypto traders who believe that eventually that fan base will want the NFT that crypto traders bought. And some of the, sometimes the, the volume by which these things are being traded is so high that it's really not being held for any kind of posterity. It's, it's just being held because for the next two days it might go up and, um, and then they'll just flip it. So I don't think a lot of the time those, those markets are for um, the real hardcore fans. I think it's just for people who like trading on the volatility and, and spread betting and seeing if what they own will go up a bit. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good distinction to make. I mean, there are obviously these crypto whales who are, you know, have, have made a lot of money over the last 10 years in crypto and have amassed Ethereum and Bitcoin that they can now repurpose and they, they're buying these NFTs. You just saw the Beeple um, sale at Christie's for six. 69 million that was bought by a guy in Asia who, who made a lot of money in the crypto um, space over the last uh, few years. Um, that's, that's an investment opportunity. Um, but then from the fans' perspective, what we're starting to see already is utility within NFT. So, um, you know, there was a, a UFC um, drop by Khabib where, you know, if you bought, and I think they were way overpriced, but if you bought a certain level of the NFT, you got to, you know, get a front row seat at the next UFC fight that he's in, or you got to, you know, have a meet and greet. And it's that kind of utility that I think, obviously subject to what Atan was saying about access and make, making these things accessible for for fans. Obviously, if they're going to have to try and connect a MetaMask wallet and transfer Ethereum and work out what gas means, then that's a barrier to entry. But all of that is starting to fall away with, you know, credit credit card 
transactions and bank transfers and it's it's already getting easier even though the nft space is relatively new but where it becomes really interesting is that utility piece and if if um, artists can sell you don't even have to call them uh, nfts call them digital collectibles but if they can sell those and tie those back to real world benefits or, or or tangible additional you know merchandise or physical goods that's where i personally think it gets interesting from a from an artist's point of view or from a from a celebrity's point of view and then separately to that you know for a long time um 10 15 years now artists um influencers there as they've been called um had starting to see a real shift in and nfts is just part of this in taking back ownership of your audience and there's a, a business that um is uh, not related to nfts but that i uh, seed funded um, about six years ago and they're called community.com and they're all about um, uh, uh, reclaiming audience from um, these major platforms and their text text message based They've just raised this week forty million dollars from Salesforce ventures, essentially giving artists ownership of their own audience and assets. And, and NFTs have the ability to do exactly the same thing. If you're selling something to your fans that then allows you to send something down the blockchain or communicate with them in a way that isn't requiring Facebook or YouTube or Instagram's involvement, then you're taking back that ownership. And I think that's an important piece of the puzzle that we're going to see much more of. Eitan, it was just something that crossed my mind now and because we were having a discussion um, with um, with the client a few days ago on, on a similar issue of um, sort of smart contracts um, and, and sell-on amounts and that type of stuff. But if, for example, you've got Kings of Leon that promise front row seats for all of their concerts for the next 20 years, but then don't fulfill that promise in a smart contract or seek to vary it in a different way, how, how, do, we, do we know how that would actually work in practice? Um, well, the smart contract, what it's going to do is going to be quite limited. It, it can only really handle quite binary things it can actually handle far more complicated things like that but then it, it's it, it's not necessarily easier so if you know um if it if it knows the nft has been traded from a to b and it's going to kick on x percent as a secondary royalty to the originator that's nice and binary a smart contract can handle that if it's a bet between you and i as to whether it's going to rain tomorrow it has to know what the weather is and then it needs to have that information put into it and so I think from a, at a smart contract level, um, it's 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 more complicated to do it in that way, um, and also it's quite tricky because once they're out there, they're, they're kind of rigid, difficult to do things with them, and um, you know, difficult to change things. Um, you can you can so yeah, I'm not sure I'm really answering your question here, but um, to do it through a smart contract would be much more difficult. I think, generally speaking, we're yet to see what happens when the rights or the IP or whatever it is that's attached to this token, when that connection breaks. Um, but we're hearing, you know, there, there are stories of, of that having happened and, um, and people aren't necessarily being totally upfront, I think, because the NFT itself is on a blockchain and that's distributed and it's, it's resilient. Um, but the IP or whatever else you're getting, what you really want to buy, not just, you don't just want to have a string of letters on a blockchain, you want something else. And that thing, um, it probably isn't stored in a, in a decentralized way. You're probably depending on someone to keep that up, even if it's just someone paying their dues to Amazon 
What I think, Etan, is particularly interesting is the question of privity of contract. If you've bought a, an NFT directly from the creator, accompanied by the right to, say, you know, attend the next five concerts for Kings of Leon, if you then sell that NFT, the holder of that NFT then has that right because he's the owner of the NFT, but he doesn't have privity of contract with the original seller. So I think that that personally opens up quite an interesting legal conundrum that I'm sure will be worked out over time. But um, if you can show that you're the holder on record of something, do you have the right to claim against the original seller or not? Um, but you, you could you could have it such that you, there are rights that are in the contract which are then being kind of assigned along. And so contractually, you can handle it. There are other issues such as Maybe the person who got kicked out of the last Kings of Leon gig and banned from all other King, Kings of Leon gigs, maybe he buys it and then he feels that he's entitled. And so how do you do these things? What if it's just at an over-18s venue? Um, and you can extrapolate these problems you know, all the way. So I suspect that those kinds of rights are going to be fairly limited, maybe limited to the original buyer. And, and then they still have something that they can hold and look at once the gig's ended. And maybe if they want to sell, if it, the price has gone up because there's more than just it's more than just a ticket um but it's a it's a big issue with any kind of physical right um that might be attached to it i was just going to take a moment just to jump in if i'm an ip or rights holder and i own a brand or a property how do i get into this space how do i think and how do i make a decision as to whether or not my property has value and it's something that's valuable to people, um, that's something people might want to collect or want to buy. What, what's the first step that I'm going to start taking or thinking about? I had a conversation um, earlier in the week with a friend of mine who's general counsel at the Royal Dahl Company, and obviously they've got a, you know, a massive catalogue of IP, and you know they've been approached by probably three or four different entities who are, you know, saying that they streamline the process and, and make it easy for them. I think inevitably that's going to evolve as a, as a whole ecosystem within itself. UTA over in Hollywood, um, uh, their digital arm headed up by Brent Weinstein has already announced that they're doing an NFT kind of sub um, section to, to that agency and that part of the agency. So there will inevitably be agents that come up and um, make it easy. Dapper Labs, who um, have the Flow blockchain that the NBA Top Shots has built on, their whole proposition is to be a turnkey solution where you just plug and play, essentially, and it's, it's not that easy yet. But, you know, there will be those, those solutions. I guess the question that any IP owner is going to ask themselves is, especially in this early stage, is this going to help or hurt my brand? Um, you know, there will be some that will do something. I gave the Snoop Dogg um, uh, example earlier that I just thought, you know, was just an obvious money grab and it was just low quality JPEGs selling, you know, 20,000 of them for $100 each. It was an obvious money grab. And I actually think that can potentially hurt a brand um, and can damage fan loyalty. So I guess that's one of the questions they're going to be asking them, themselves. Is this going to 
help or hurt my brand and roll roll the roll dog company are you know particularly cautious and slow moving about how they exploit their brand and move into different new media so um i think that's a big consideration thanks damien um we've got mark anderson who's just joined us um, and i've just invited up to the stage welcome mark did you have a question yeah, thanks very much for inviting me up. I um, don't know too much about the NFTs. only just started to sort of listen into it. I know our company um, are, are just in the process of doing something quite big uh, in respect of the NFTs. Uh, but my, my, my question was, is um, what's, what's the environmental impact like on, on the NFTs? Well, that's another, that's another big elephant in the room. I mean, people have been talking about you know, the, the um, carbon emissions of mining Bitcoin for a number of years. And it was at one point it was supposed to be the Bitcoin killer that, you know, if you mine Bitcoin, you're using up the same energy as, you know, a small country. And, it you know, there's various arguments for and against that because a lot of the miners use green energy. What I've started to see in the NFT space is, um, you know, c- uh, carbon offsets. So some some uh, platforms like Nifty Gateway, which has arguably become one of the biggest and most popular um, platforms for selling um, uh, art NFTs, is now offsetting or um, carbon offsetting all of their minting um, and inve- reinvesting some of their proceeds in that. So I think at the moment it's still becoming known, but a lot of um, uh, a lot of businesses are conscious of it and aware that it might be off-putting. Thanks very much, Daniel. Thanks for joining, Mark. Appreciate your questions. Aaron, I wanted to change tact a little bit and think about some of the creative side. We talk about NFTs as art. Some people talk about NFTs as art. And clearly what we're buying has an inherent value. We see so many NFTs minted on a daily basis across brands and IP holders. What what do you see working well or, or not well from the creative point of view, if I'm an IP or rights holder, um, for actually what the nft is looks like and what the experience is to the buyer sure sure hello everyone um i think i think it's really really early on the creative side um i think uh, damien touched on it earlier it's super early in the space and because there's a lot of money changing hands it kind of maybe it feels a bit more mature than it is but it's still really early i think what maybe parking the brand owners and IP for one second, I think what artists and creators, creatives in general are really excited about is just the potential for like a new space for digital ownership. I think ownership in digital has always been a bit of a strange subject matter, you know, all the way going back to what does it mean to own an album on iTunes and then moving into Spotify and does anyone own anything anymore or is it, do we just pay a subscription to get everything we need and and I think from a creative point of view, that's sort of been a bit of a struggle, both for media companies and also for, for artists. And so this is a really sort of a big paradigm shift where, you know, if you're an artist or a creative, you can start to think about what ownership of your work looks like in a digital landscape. And um, and then I think it's just a really early shift towards that. And so you've got all the big headlines and all the big hype around certain artists, but then there are other artists who are slowly sort of building up their following, building up their work. And, you know, in the end, you'll invest in an artist as much or if not more than a single piece or a single collection of art. And so over time, those those careers, will, you know, will be built. And I think a really 
maybe it's perhaps a cheesy example, but a really mainstream example would be, you know, outside of digital, when you look at someone like Banksy, you, you, know, you know, you go back a decade or so, um, and, and, you know, people arguing is Banksy art, it's graffiti, what is it, and the whole, you know, street art, and what's the value, and then you fast forward and gallery representation, and people pulling out bits of walls and selling them at auction, and all the ridiculousness that comes, and, and, and um, you know, the collective, uh, the collector community really embracing Banksy. And I think, I think we'll see the same in NFTs. There's obviously a, an initial, um, you know, movement right now that's really exciting and lots of money changing hands and it's all very cool. But over time, I think we'll see that certain creators and certain artists will really rise above the general noise and it will become a real, you know, statement of pride and people really want to collect their work as things, as things settle. And then from a brand and IP owner, I think the, or from that perspective, I think the thing that's really interesting will be what's the intersection between those two worlds. So what's the crossover point between someone as big and broad and powerful as the NBA and and the artists who are selling their work? Will there be any? Will there be collaborations? Will there not be collaborations? Will brands look to creators and artists to do things together, um, or will it be sort of two very separate uh, things happening? Um, on, on in the NFT space and, and maybe musicians are kind of a crossover and lots of interesting musicians doing interesting things not just with music but with visual art and so um so yeah I think it's really early um but but really exciting from a monetization and um an ownership point of view for for creatives cool thanks Aaron Charlie you've joined uh you've joined us up on the stage um do you have a question for us yes I do hi yeah um, so I'm a director at uh, Lewis uh, Football Club, the men's and women's team. And I just wondered if it's possible to think about um, the guys on the panel, a, a worked example of how it might work. So I'm thinking, for example, of, let's say, a goal. So a goal is scored by one of our teams at our, our home ground. Uh, we've filmed it, we're streaming it, someone scored it. I'm trying to think how that might work as, as an, NF, an NFT. So uh, how it would work, in t- just from the first point, in terms of, if we've hosted it and we've filmed it, I assume we own it, or does the scorer own it? So the question one is, whose is that to sell? And then the second question to think about as a worked example, I appreciate these early days, is if we create each goal clip as an NFT, you know, maybe not as valuable as Jeff Hurst scoring the winner in 66, but as an NFT, then how does that work? And also in terms of once it's sold, assuming there's a value, perceived value for it, about what rights you then retain, or is it basically you sell it all or nothing, and then anybody else can show it, and we can't in future. I just wonder how that example might work. I think you, you, um, or the, the one thing I would just say, Charlie, and it's a great question, is you know I'm uh, I, I'm coming it from the IP perspective, as you're coming from it to a degree. Um, Atan's perspective, I think, is almost the alternative, which is uh, as as you started off in the conversation, Atan, I think, which was w- what we're talking about here. I think with NFTs at its core is something pretty scarce, rare, and valuable in that sort of order. So the question is, from my perspective, um, and Eitan can obviously add in much more detail, is why would someone want um, a to, to own um, a particular digital footprint of a certain bit of IP? And then when you work backwards from there, then you start, I think, getting the answer to the question so because this is this is very different from you know just going on to 
uh, YouTube and watching the NBA slam dunk that, of LeBron that then sells for two or three hundred thousand um, dollars. This is the digital equivalent of the, as Eitan said, the cigarette cigarette butt from someone throwing their cigarette on the ground in 1970 that's still been maintained and is scarce and is um, different to something that would otherwise be quite quite ubiquitous was my first thought on that. But Eitan, well, I'm sure, will speak a lot more sense. Well, just, just to sort of, just, just, just sort of, in, in, in that response, I'm thinking there's two possible forms. I mean, obviously, value is in the eyes of the, mm. the buyer. If so, if so, but I'm thinking someone might want to buy it because they just think that's a particularly good goal or whatever. But also, you know, with football clubs, people are loyal. They want to find different ways of spending. So even if they only want to spend $100, $200 on buying a goal, it's a revenue stream. So I'm just interested in understanding how that might work and what rights would go with it. So on the right side, and, and this is a good example of this is the work we do with musicians on this because they tend to promise their rights to, to their labels. And so the NFT content they make usually isn't, isn't really musical. It's, it tends to be you know, um, graphical because they know that's outside the deal they've done um, where their, their hands are tied for the next three or five years or something. Um, and, this, and, in, and in sport, there's gonna be rights to, um, you know, to, to broadcast the footage and there's gonna be terms which say, don't film the thing and stick it on the internet. And it, you know, the, the platforms can actually bring that content down just by breaking the connection between the NFT and the content. So it's not, it, it, it's not gonna be up there just forever and be totally, totally bulletproof um in terms i mean we're talking about scarcity and and why that increases value and you know the most basic of economics being that if the if the demand goes up and the supply stays the same the price has to go up um if if there is an official series of like 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 with the mba it's official it's endorsed you know there's going to be a certain number every year you can collect sets you can collect them in respect to your favorite players but you know, these are these are the NFTs that we're talking about when we talk about NBA NFTs. Then um, I feel like that's way more desirable, just based on the behavior of collect collectibles who have been collecting things, you know, almost pointlessly for you know hundreds of years. If let's say a national governing body puts out this is our set for for the season 2022 2023, um, and you can buy all the Newcastle United ones, um, then great. I think that's way more desirable than just a kind of a hodgepodge of things. I don't know if that answers it. No, well, I suppose what I'm, uh, because listen, I mean, like I say, value is is in the eye of the of, of the buyer. So let's just take Lewis Foot Club as an example. There are many football clubs. You know, if you're a fan of a club, you're a fan of a club. You know, we've got owners in 34 countries around the world. So it's not the same marketplace as Manchester City, etc. But it's a marketplace. So. I think I can totally understand the relative value versus a Lewis goal versus an NBA slam dunk is, is different. But let's just say there is a value to it, even if it's not a lot of money. I think I'm just asking more specifically, if it's possible to say yet, what is the mechanism? And my question was started with, who owns the rights to that goal? Is it the person filming it? Who owns that? And or is it the person scoring it? Assuming this is not covered by an existing TV deal. Let's go outside of TV deals. So what IP is created by that goal? Whose is it to sell? And this is then the, then the mechanism is about if we created an NFT of the footage of that goal, let's say we could because we owned it, What? 
how can it then be used? Can it no longer be used by us or it can with the new owner's permission? I'm interested in the mechanism of how that would work. Okay, so really briefly, the, the copyright in that will be owned by whoever recorded it. So the photo is owned by the photographer, not the, not the subject of the photo. But that person may have, in some jurisdictions, rights to their image. And there's always rules about, you know, you can't take a photo of me and make it look like I'm endorsing something that I don't endorse, things like that. And then that IP is, exists once it's recorded. And then when you, when you put it on the marketplace, you give a license uh, to the marketplace and to the buyers. And that buyer and uh, marketplace are then able to use the instance of that IP that attaches to the NFT. So there's going to be one that goes on the NFT or maybe a limited edition of 100 or something. But you could just still stick that photo anywhere, stick it on Facebook and do other things with it. So it's to do with the... Um, to do with the in that particular instance that goes on the NFT, unless there's a unless there's um, you know, unless you're using the NFT almost as a form of DRM and you're going to hide it from everyone else if they, unless they own it. Charlie, thanks for the questions. Um, I was going to go to uh, John. Thanks for joining us. You've got a question. Oh yeah, so I'm an IP lawyer specialising in the art space, but one of the stories that in the sports sector that was most eye-catching to me last year was Gareth Bale and uh, Ibrahimovic not knowing. knowing how their image was licensed to EA Sports. And so I kind of building on the last question, this is perhaps to Daniel, to, to what extent do you think the current rights settlements um, are flexible enough to govern who it is, who can even monetize and authorize? So let, let's say we were to have the equivalent of the NBA uh, top trumps cards and have it as Premier League goals or, or something in European football. Do the current right settlements provide enough flexibility to enable that to happen? It's a great one, John. Thanks for that. I, I think the short answer is um, I don't think the existing deals in place will make expl be making explicit reference to NFT related matters. But there will be something in there in the agreements between, let's just say, rights holder Premier League, broadcaster Sky and BT, for example, um, um, members of the club, um, clubs, and then uh, down to the individual talent. Y usually, if we just take Top Shots as the example, with those types of images and videos, um, that's going to be, they're going to be images and videos um, that have been licensed either to be provided for and broadcast by the rights holder down to the broadcaster. And the query then is, is that who has those rights to exploit and who has those rights to exploit for the particular use that the NFT is going to be um, providing um, and it being exploited for. So um, it, it's, it's complicated, I think, on most uh, sports side of things, especially when there's big commercial deals, you know, billions of pounds worth of deals, but really those exploitation rights were for live, delayed and highlights, not necessarily for um, a token on a blockchain. Because you, you can imagine, can't you, the, the, the likes of those charismatic, iconic players, the, 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 they are going to go into bat and negotiate quite hard for an improved settlement in relation to very specific, very individual things like um, standout goals. So it'll be interesting to see them come to the table and start to talk about that. Yeah, I think you're right. I, th I think it's going to be tricky for talent in its current state to be able to suddenly be able to exploit the wonder goal that they scored back in 
2000 based on um, not necessarily them having too much ability to control the rights that have been licensed between rights holder and broadcaster and club. Does that answer your question there, John? Yeah, definitely. Thank yeah. you. There's a lot of uh, legal advice going on here, which is incredibly interesting. Um, Lee, I know you have joined the stage and I know you're quite experienced in the NFT space. Did you have a question for the panel? Yeah, I just, um, first of all, I love the room and, and appreciate you guys giving me the chance to speak. Um, I work with two NFT artists um, exclusively, one of them being Feroz. And if you pull to refresh, you'll see there my biopic, um, what it is right now. And if, me without telling you or without reading it, you would Im immediately look at that picture and anybody who knows the game of football knows exactly what that is. And so that right there in and of itself is an NFT that uh, Feroz, I don't know if you're familiar with the artist, created. And he's created several other ones that are NFTs that are of very distinct memories and moments in football. Um, and the way that he's gone about doing it, you can see there, there's no uh, Man City badge on the kits. There's no actual licensing things. Um, and so currently we've been also talking to a lot of professional clubs and I'm also working with a lot of professional athletes so we can kind of navigate this all this red tape and all this kind of you know trademarks and licensing and all that branding stuff just to kind of figure out where it all comes together um you know with the intersection of sport and how athletes um can use that as a way to have that perpetuity and and have those nfts linked to them as well so not only is the artist getting the perpetuity every time it's sold but even the the player um so yeah that's just like a little bit about kind of what we're been what we've been working on so i love the conversation i would love to be a part of it and i'm just uh happy to be here guys thanks lee really appreciate that uh, omri you had a different question about ar did you want to jump in thanks for coming to the stage uh, my name is omri i'm a distributed ledger technology and crypto lawyer i will be joining sheridan's uh, at the beginning of may and um, i just wanted to touch upon you know the use cases uh, particularly i wanted to, i found uh, Daniel's question very interesting. Uh, why people, you know, buy uh, NFTs? And uh, I agree with Ethan, you know, with respect to the fact that uh, people are currently buying it because it is an NFT. So the NFT creates a sales rather than the content itself. So it's a bit of a fear of missing out, I think, and the will of making uh, quick gains. Also, uh, so you know, as as Ethan mentioned, I think there there is going to be sort of a relaxation within uh, the the market. Um, but that doesn't mean that NFTs are not here to stay, you know, for the long run and uh, to become more successful. And I think that in the future that is going to happen because of, you know, as you mentioned, documented reality. Uh, you might have heard or seen already on LinkedIn now mentions as to the metaverse. And I think, you know, to answer Daniel's question, why people would buy NFTs, it's because the moment you can wear an NFT or you can reproduce it sort of in the real world in the form of a hologram, so to say, and experience it through our five senses and not just, you know, behind the screen, then I, I, I can see, I think it's easy to start seeing, you know, a use case. And uh, I'm sure that many of you are already familiar with this company, but there is this company called the RTK, uh, uh, sorry, RTFKT. And uh, they've uh, hit the news because they sold about 3 million worth of uh, sneakers. They sold the real sneaker together with an NFT of it, but they also sold a, uh, 3D object in the form of jackets for, you know, prices as high as 200,000 for people, you know, that are in esports like face banks and so on and so forth. So you definitely see, and you can see the use case when it comes to 3D object because you'll be able to own them, you'll be able to wear them. As Ethan mentioned earlier, 
the beauty of distributed ledger technology is that it provides uh, digital assets with uh, uh, attributes that are typically encountered in real assets. Uh, so in terms of 2D, you know, when you look at Topshop, for example, um, in my opinion, the fact that the secondary markets present, you know, prices that are so high, it doesn't necessarily mean that they actually sell. And I know that because I purchased the pack and I've <laughs> placed my, uh, you know, the, to- the kind of the cards that I have on NBA Topshop on the secondary market myself and they've been there for about four weeks and I've not sold even one. Um, also, just to complete this, you know, the reason why I'm not seeing all of this potential for uh, from a 2D perspective, at least, a 2D asset perspective in NFTs, it's uh, with respect to scarcity. Because when we look at collectibles, scarcity is definitely one of the characteristics that makes an item uh, more valuable. And, you know, when you look at, let's take Pokemon card, uh, the wear and tear these are subject to increase their value. Because, for example, if you look at the first edition Charizard, Perhaps initially there were, I'm not sure, 15,000 printed, but then because of wear and tear and people missing them, you know, there are about 10 left, which are in uh, mint condition. But assets on the blockchain are not going anywhere, particularly because they're on the blockchain. So uh, scarcity of um, has to be placed into context, I think, when we compare uh, NFTs to uh, collectibles that take the form you know, of collectible cards in, their, uh, in paper form. So I think that in this case, you know, the immutability of the, of the blockchain could play against, uh, you know, the value of uh, 2D uh, NFTs. Anyway, thanks everyone again. Uh, I'm really enjoying as well this conversation. While we wait for the next the next question, I just wanted to pick up on something that Om- Omri said about sort of scarcity, um, and I'm I'm familiar with the RFTK sneaker drop i actually bought a couple of them um because i'm interested in the artist ferocious who they partnered with and um not only because i bought them but i think the 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 value there will be that they are um although there were more than sort of five or ten of them they are unique artist designed sneakers that i'm i'm pretty convinced that separate to the nft will have a life of their own on um you know, StockX or or something else, because the only way you can get those sneakers is is either buying them in the secondary market or having bought the NFT through that partnership a number of months ago. So, um, I think there's a um, there's a great deal of scarcity in in physical goods, unique physical goods tied up with NFTs, particularly where it's a one of one of one drop, um, which that one wasn't. But um, they're also under that drop there you know they're giving sort of bonus nfts out to anyone who happened to have bought all three of those sneaker pairs and and they're sort of surprising people with other stuff so i think um you know there's there's scarcity and then there's um sort of uh, money can't buy opportunities that are coming out of some of these things false nine do you want to um ask a question or, or throw something in the ring here you Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm an NFT artist. I'm actually represented by one of the speakers who just talked, uh, Lee. Uh, he also represents Feroz. Feroz was his first signing. as a, he's, a, uh, an, in a, he's an artist who uh, specializes in soccer. Uh, fo- I'm sorry, I keep saying soccer. I know it's football. We say soccer in America, of course. But um, he represented Feroz, and Feroz is an artist who specializes in football moments. He did it before the N- NFT space was even created. And uh, he naturally went into NFTs. He sold NFTs and then was signed by Lee. Uh, Lee scouted me on Clubhouse, actually, 
through NFT rooms and saw that I loved football and said that this is a perfect avenue for what he's involved with and what his artists are now involved with. We just, I just uh, did, we're going to do a new NFT for an uh, uh, Egyptian-born uh, um, Netherlands player, uh, Tamer, uh, and he's going to use this sort of as his rookie card. Uh, he's going to create the, he's going to mint the NFT and we're going to put it on the blockchain. He may hold it for later when he becomes big or maybe sell it. And what he can do is actually have royalties on his NFT and we'll share in the profits of those. I'm not sure what, what the deal that Lee has uh, made, but he's, um, he's going to be a great, pro he's a great prospect. And we look to do this with other artists, uh, with other talent. So thank you. Thank you for that. That's 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 really cool um just as we sort of start to wrap up i was just going to throw it out there to the to the panel clearly there's a few phrases that have come up tonight where we talk about the bubble or or on the opposite side people have mentioned that actually this is just the beginning and we've only just started where where do we think we're going to be in 12 to 18 months what does this space look like for rights holders ip owners brands and so on. Damien, you're a long-standing investor. Where do you see the, the play? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there will be still some, you know, some artists and some um, pieces of art that increase in value. I think there's a lot of stuff there that out there in the market now that is just, you know, dross and a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money quite quickly, I think, buying up stuff um, and ending up holding it. I think Omri made the point that he's bought some stuff on uh, NBA top shots that he's then tried to sell and it's kind of just been stagnating. And I, you know, I've bought and sold stuff on NBA top shots and I can see that it's sort of going through that cycle where for six weeks or eight weeks it was, you know, hot as anything and people were paying huge amounts of money for individual moments. And then, you know, you can see, and that's one of the interesting things that we touched on right at the very beginning of this call um, was. Uh, you can see everything that goes on the blockchain. So you can see if someone has bought a moment for $20,000 and then they've then listed it for sale at $200,000 and then they've pulled it off and they've relisted it at 180000 and they've pulled it off and they've relisted it at 80000 And in many ways, it sort of exposes um, sort of negotiating power in, in one way or another. Coming to the, the future, I think, you know, it will be... Um, there will be some things that thrive and survive, um, and I think NBA Top Shots has a great, great chance of that. You know, if you buy a Series One or even now a Series Two rare moment, if if they're still going in ten, twelve years time, and then and they're on Series Twelve, Thirteen, um, I, I, my guess is that a Series One relatively rare moment will be worth a lot of money. But I think a lot of people will do what um, happened in, in crypto, where in 2017, a lot of people bought these ICOs. Um, they, um, some people got burned in 2018, but those people who actually held the, the genuine projects, I'm not talking about the scams or the, the, the sort of the projects that, you know, were set up just as a money grab, but the genuine projects that people held through that bear market and that crypto winter are now coming back. And so, you know, the people who held are seeing a significant return on, on their investment. So I think, you know, the market will separate the wheat from the chaff, but many, many will survive. And 
again coming back to what i said earlier about utility i think that's where it will head i don't think it will just be about buying buying a jpeg and hoping that someone else will buy it for you know 10 times more in in a month's time it will be to do with ownership control of content and added value dan Atan, same question from a legal perspective where where you're heading with your clients and business um I think from a legal perspective, we'll start to see the NFT rights being addressed more explicitly. Sometimes contracts will say, you know, on any format, whether existing or to be invented, or those types of words. But I think we'll see it as just another way to, to exploit IP, another channel. And I think in the marketplace, we'll see, as Damien said, a lot of people regret having bought just terrible, terrible, uh, <laughs> terrible content, uh, over massive, massively overpriced. But I hope to see that um, it allows digital artists a better way to monetize their content and and hopefully empowers those people. More art in the world is, is, is a nice thing. And ideally, we'll stop, we'll stop talking about the NFT part. The NFT is just the, the technical bit that makes it scarce. We should really be focusing on the artwork. And I'd love to say that we won't mention NFTs and we'll just know that it's, it's um, limited edition digital art some people understand there happens to be an NFT there, but it won't really be, be that relevant. And um, people won't be buying these things just because they're NFTs. They're buying them because they aren't as genuinely desirable. And there's only 100 of them out there. And Aaron, where do you see this in 18 months, couple of years from a creator, artist, quality of content perspective? I think similar to what Eitan just said, I think um, as exciting as the technology is, you know, we can over time not just talk about the, the power of the technology but really start to talk about the product and, and the artists and the individuals that you're actually investing into and their careers and what that looks like and um, I think we'll continue to see lots of uh, lots of really fun interesting developments I re I'm really interested when certain c creatives artists who are known for a certain thing are doing something very different so I think Eitan touched on that that might be for legal reasons but um, an artist that I never really cared about, but, but the band Pussy Riot, who obviously made waves for their Russian protest, and um, now they're releasing sort of digital art that's doing very well. And it's a sort of really interesting to see sort of artists also pivot with new opportunities and bring their kind of followings and audiences and um, to, to the new space. So I think we'll just see more of that. I'm, re I'm really keen to see what happens with Damien Hurst's drop uh, in the coming weeks, which is on his this new environmentally friendly. NFT space. So I think there's lots of developments that are just going to continue to kind of shape the space and we'll see the major artists and the music artists and then also the sort of rising stars that will cut through the cut through the crap, so to speak, and uh, and sort of develop their, their audiences and, and, and pieces. Thanks, Aaron. I'm Daniel Roby. I'm CEO and founder of Think Jam. Big thanks to Eitan and Dan G from Sheridan's Thanks, Damien, for joining, and thanks, Aaron, for your creative input. I've really enjoyed chatting to you all. Um, Think Jam and Sheridan's are going to be hosting another collaboration on Clubhouse in about two to three weeks on a very different topic. We're going to be talking about TikTok, which is a huge passion of ours, so we'll be announcing that soon. But other than that, thanks for everyone for listening.